The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, he is in Israel. I guess he wants to see how that ceasefire is going. Well, that ceasefire isn't going to go well. It's not that I don't want it to go well. I want it all to go well. I want Hamas to go away, but Hamas isn't going away. So what is it that you're actually there for? What's the purpose? What's the plan? What's the desire? What are you going to check out? What deal do you think you can make? What's going to work? When you realize the answer is nothing, what's your plan then? What then do you do? I, I, I say to you, uh, only and simply, that I don't know why he's there. I don't know what he expects to find. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, so good to be with you. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. Um, as CBS writes it, He's there to solidify the fragile Israel-Gaza truce. Well, first of all, that's not what's going on at all, now is it? NBC says that Blinken's there to shore up the Gaza ceasefire. Uh, Not really on topic. Uh, New York Times, in Israel, Blinken pushes U.S. support for rebuilding Gaza. Now, wait a second. Are we going to discuss what the hell is happening or not? What's our plan? Where are we going to put our efforts I mean there are a lot of stories out there wokeness at feds regional banks put central bank independence at risk I'm sorry what according to Fox Business regional Federal Reserve banks taking an increasingly alarming stance on politically charged issues like racial justice according to Senator Pat Toomey he's a Republican from Pennsylvania ranking member of the Senate Banking Committee And that you've got Federal Reserve Banks in Atlanta, Boston, and Minneapolis recently dedicated resources to social policy to reflect political leanings of officials who are neither elected nor confirmed by the Senate. But they're taking your dollars, because you're eventually going to have to pay for it, and putting it towards their wokeness. Maybe there are things you need to be paying attention to more than Israel. But certainly, if you're going to talk about Israel... Maybe, just maybe, the subject should be right. Blinken is not there to shore up a Gaza ceasefire. He is not there to push U.S. support for rebuilding Gaza. Wait, is he? Because that would then be a problem that you're not recognizing, and you notice in all three of the headlines that I read to you, CBS News, NBC News, and the New York Times, none of them talk about Hamas. And this is the only subject. Does Israel believe in the eradication of a terrorist organization, yes or no? You want to talk about the Fed? Three banks recently spearheaded a series participated in by all 12 regional banks centered on the belief that, quote, racism forms the foundation of inequality in our society. It's the racism and economy series highlights structural racism in housing, education and labor markets. Yeah, we got multiple fronts to which we're fighting things and that what we're fighting is just a radical bit of dishonesty. We are not discussing the United States should not be rebuilding Gaza. We should be discussing whether or not it is time for Hamas to go.
It's a terrorist organization. And when the terrorist organization is gone and Iran is defeated, in terms of the mullahs, the hardliners, and the clerics, you can actually have peace. And you can actually have a Gaza that thrives. It can't happen with Hamas. So why would we rebuild Gaza if only for the purpose of Hamas when they don't spend money on their own people anyway that they supposedly represent and they only spend their money on killing Jews? Raphael Bostic is the president of the Atlanta Fed, the first black Fed president. He has told Axios if he were to become Fed chair, he would steer the central bank toward economic inclusivity and equity. Does that mean we're going to be giving out loans via the Fed or backing loans via the Fed or supporting monetary policy, I should say, that doesn't worry about things like what? Collateral, because that's not equity, because some people have more collateral than others, so therefore can take out more of a loan than others. We're going to give out money based on, well, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> that's, that's my idea of a, of, a, of a laugh. I assume that's how, I assume that's how they, they laugh right, right there, people who, who think these, these radical uh, kinds of theories. This is a man who said that there are definite merits to reparation. Definite merits? Definitely merits to reparations? Okay. You can pay them, sir. I'm not. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not paying. My children are innocent. You can't tell them otherwise. I won't allow it. And I will stand in the gap. Here we have two real subjects, terrorism and quite literally the financial future of the nation. And we aren't being honest about either one. When it comes to terrorism, we won't even name the terrorists. And when it comes to our financial future, we won't even get into an idea of, hey, the first thing we should do is stop spending so damn much. No, we should talk about how to be equitable. By the way, this equity conversation is about wealth redistribution. That's what equity is. As equity gets described in all of these conversations, it is about wealth redistribution. It's not because I say so. It's because they say so. They say so again and again and again and again. We can't say it more. We can't say it otherwise. This is where we are at. When people talk about equity, they do not talk about equality. Equity is about the idea of outcomes. And the people who want to redefine the terminology will find themselves in an uphill battle. Maybe confusing some, but not those who are true believers. And the true believers who believe wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, that there should be an equalization of outcomes are some of the most dangerous people out there in society. Of course they're dangerous. Because in what free society can you equalize an outcome? How does that, how does that begin uh, to, to, to work? It doesn't. It works if you, if you live in a... a communist socialist kind of kind of hellscape but it doesn't work when you're when you're free people wanting to lead a a a, a free life it just it, it doesn't work it can't work so we've got some big issues
And we have got people totally radical in the discussion of them. You won't discuss Hamas as a terrorist organization. You have no shot of dealing with the situation. All you'll have is a ridiculous amount of pressure on Israel that only wants to survive. By the way, the real conversation here is that do you believe that Israel should exist at all? I mean, that's, that's of course, the conversation. That's, the course, the conversation. And then you have these people who support Rashida Tlaib, right? Oh, they're big supporters, and they show up with her everywhere. This guy, he claims to be a comic, and he doesn't want you condemning anti-Semitism at all. Hey, everybody, it's Ahmed. This is a message to all the activists and leaders out there that are condemning anti-Semitism and condemning terrorism right now. Stop it. Stop. You are not helping, all right? You are playing their games. It's a distraction. We've been condemning anti-Semitism for 20, 30, 40 years. If they didn't believe us by now, stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. It doesn't help. Today they took out an ad in the New York Times saying that Gigi and Bella Hadid are in favor of a second Holocaust. Stop it. They're playing games. Don't condemn We have a cross-sectional, intersectional movement that is winning, and they are scared, and they are freaking out. So they're trying to distract you all. Stop it. Stop it. Stay focused. Stay free, free Palestine and nothing else. I love you all. I'm proud of you all. We're winning. Stay focused, and I'll see you soon. Now, we're winning what? I'll get into that a little bit later. (laughs) We're winning. I mean, that's what you're addressing when you're talking about Israel. And I know it sounds strange. You're, you're flipping through these subjects back and forth. Man, this is coming at you pretty fast, ain't it? This is coming at you pretty fast. But remember, remember that they have been working on these subjects for forever. The hate of Israel has been going on for forever. They are prepared for anything and describing why Israel is at fault. These ideas of steering the central bank toward economic inclusivity and equity, I'd throw him out of of the Fed job as fast as you could say hello. Because that's not somebody who is geared toward any level of um, sense of economics that has value. It has no value. I mean, even if you're going to get into this idea where the Minneapolis Fed, for example, 2020 annual report renewed its commitment to dismantling systemic racism. What are you talking about? Are you saying that the Fed is is racist? Because if so, we should dismantle it by firing all of you. If you tell me that the Fed in Minneapolis is racist, we fire everybody. We hire better people. Problem solved. Or we just dismantle the Fed. There you go. I can solve this problem one of two ways. Your choice. Your choice. A report published by the Boston Fed, December 2020, saying the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others were the result of, quote, racist roots of this country. Do I need the Fed to to do this for me? Or can they explain why we have so much spending and we allow these deficits to take place? Why don't they explain to America what inflation is and why interest rates are going to go up? And I'm not saying Trump was any better at the spending. I'm making the argument that why don't you just do your job? Do you think that we care what the Fed has to say about what they claim to be systemic racism? I know they're led by President Biden. Systemic racism is a stain on our nation's soul. Yes. 
Bigotry of Democrats is a stain on the nation's soul. Democrats uh, being opposed to freeing slaves is a stain on our nation's soul. I could not agree more. But we got to talk about financial policy that works, that has value, that makes sense. I don't want the feds discussing racism. I want them discussing policy. Now, if you say to me, hey, the Fed has allowed a policy that didn't loan money to black people in these areas for these reasons, well, fix it and fire people. Or fire people and fix it. I don't care which one you do first. Actually, you know what? I care that you fix it first, then you fire the people. Get it done. Nobody wants that. If you say to me that you've engaged in economic policies that have disadvantaged people, show me. I'm all ears. But since it's capitalism, I think it would disadvantage a whole bunch of people. Unless you've got specific rules that you racist bastards at the Fed were putting into place. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm conflating a little bit the idea of the Fed and the idea of the bank where you go get a loan, right? And I don't, I don't mean to do that. It's just in, in the conversation. So that's why I want to go back and make sure I separate it out so nobody yells at me. These people are unwilling to do the serious things, which is focus on the task at hand. Focus on what matters. I say to uh, Rafael Bostic, whom I have never met, the president of the Atlanta Fed, I don't care about your thoughts about economic inclusivity. I care about interest rates. And so do people who are black who are trying to get a loan. So are people who are black or Asian or Hispanic or white or Jewish or gay or whatever who are trying to figure out how they can open a business. And you know what they're trying to find? Employees. They're not worried about your economic inclusivity and equity anything. We just heard that the Biden administration got slapped around for being racist. I'll get to that story as well. Focus on monetary policy that provides value to America, that allows capitalism to reign and people to pursue their passions and opportunities. And in your private time, do anything you like. But if you think it's a job of the Fed to work towards equity, you'd A, you don't know what equity is, and B, I'd rather you weren't part of the Fed. And if you're going to Israel to shore up support for Gaza and not to discuss whether or not to eliminate a terrorist organization, of what value are you as Secretary of State? You can build up Gaza. You get rid of the terrorists first. It's a horse cart kind of thing. I'm Tony Katz. Eric Swalwell is suing President Trump. The, the congressman from California who wasn't even man, and on, man enough to get it on with a Chinese spy. Oh, my God. Who was paid to have sex with him. I'm one of the people who says they never had sex because I don't believe Eric Swalwell actually knows how. Yeah, I... Oh, my God, Tony. What? That's so gross. Uh, no, the idea of gross is somebody saying of their own free will, yes, I'll have sex with Eric Swalwell. That's a very humorous that, joke. That right there is what's just downright disgusting, if you ask me. But, you know, these things happen. Life... Uh 
finds a way. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's a pleasure. A 49-page court filing. President Trump urging a judge to dismiss Eric Swalwell's lawsuit, claiming that the statements he made as president in the run-up to the riots at the Capitol are beyond the court's reach. The president's absolute immunity forecloses the jurisdiction of this court. I don't think that's something you want to tell a judge. Look, I think I think Trump is right. I think that that Swalwell is a ridiculous man-child. I just don't think you want to tell a judge uh, you can't touch me. Uh, uh, uh. I don't. I don't think that's what you want to do. The uh, Swalwell suit accuses Trump. Donald Trump Jr., Congressman Mo Brooks, and Rudy Giuliani have inciting the riot and conspiring to prevent Congress from certifying President Biden's election victory. What, what does that have to do with... What does that have to do with anything? So so you, you say it's conspiring, so now what, you want to be able to engage the witch hunt? You understand Eric Swalwell is a little, little, little man. And uh, you know what? He's male. Let's let's not give him the man tag. Just just yet, if 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 we could. While holding that office, former President Trump was free to advocate for the appointment and certification of electors, just as he was entitled to advocate for the passage or defeat of a constitutional amendment or the reconsideration of a congressional act over his veto, even though the president does not directly participate in those congressional acts. So the argument is, of course, he was allowed to do these things or say these things. Uh, You can't stop the man from, from saying these things. That's just that's just silly. But what's silly is this lawsuit. You'll notice that Eric Swalwell, since uh, being an impeachment manager, has been silent. You haven't heard word one from him. Now, part of that is because he's hiding out, because he clearly had a relationship of some kind with a Chinese spy, and Nancy Pelosi won't take him off uh, the intel committee. This guy gets access to secrets and has a connection to a Chinese spy that we can't find, but he still gets access. And Trump's the one getting sued? world is upside down sometimes the navy recognizing its issues amazon buying mgm and gretchen whitmer is getting all sorts of prevent defense courtesy of the mainstream media no wonder they're not trusted this is tony katz today the u.s navy Recognizing its problems, it's about time. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. I'm often told, Tony, you don't take enough calls. And I'm like, well, probably because I very rarely take any calls. But I'm not anti-call. I I am not (laughs) anti-phone. So you got something on your mind, or you agree or disagree, 833-468-8669. I'm happy to talk to you. On the conversation of the U.S. Navy, they're doing two things. First, they're finally recognizing that you got to look the part. We have Navy ships that are falling apart. It's, it's, it, they're out at sea. They get rusty. They get dinged up. They hit things. Things get hit it. You got to fix them. You got to repair them. And there hasn't been the money to do so. And so you have these ships that are in disrepair and you don't want to be the greatest fighting force in the history of mankind showing up somewhere with a rusted out bucket. 
Because what happens? People take pictures and they get used as, um, you know, propaganda against you. Oh, we're, we're worried about these guys. Look how they keep the condition of their ships. So that's been an issue. And these things do have to be repaired and have to be repaired quickly and, and, and effectively and properly. And that takes dollars. And I'm one of the people who argues, although I argue against spending, we don't spend enough on military preparedness. I know it's a hard to believe concept, but this is specifically true or especially true when we talk about the U.S. Navy. History has shown us that navies win wars. Don't get me wrong. I like a good Air Force. Don't get me wrong. I want Marines going in. Don't get me wrong. I need those Army guys doing the work quite literally nobody else in the world will do. But we can go back to the Spanish Armada and recognize that navies win wars. The reason a navy is so incredibly important in today's world is because no matter what you do online, the product has to ship from point A and get to point B. The question is, how is it going to get there? What do you think all those tankers, what do you think all those, uh, uh, those, those vessels carrying freight they need to have access. And in a world where China controls the seas, are you sure that that access happens? One boat goes sideways in the Suez Canal and you lose trillions of dollars. Maybe it matters. Imagine what China can disrupt. Never mind the disrupting of the dollars, the disrupting you getting products that you need, like I don't know, medicine. It's just the facts. The other issue of the U.S. Navy is that we do not have anywhere near our goal of 355 ships, which I actually have always felt is a goal that is not strong enough. The Chinese military has more ships at sea than the United States. They have more ships in total, I should say. This is a serious problem. You have to understand that the Chinese Navy is desperate to go deep blue, and they're working on it every day. Deep blue means that they can really engage. They've got that air, those aircraft carriers they have working on their third one right now. They now have them with ski jump technology, which is how the plane takes off to help get it that lift. They've gone, they're, they're going to that. Well, the United States is, is, is going to that. But only the United States has the real capacity to do takeoffs and landings. It's very difficult to land a plane on a boat while both are moving. And then try it at night. I think the United States is the only nation on Earth that can do those maneuvers in the evening. We are far and away advanced. And it happens because there's a willingness to be far and away advanced. If you do not have a Navy that can keep up, you have problems. You have real issues. And these issues are bipartisan issues. And when you have the Bernie Sanders of the world saying we're spending too much on the military, Bernie Sanders knows nothing. This man who has never created a thing except three houses for himself and a wife who destroyed a college. That, there is no creation in Bernie Sanders' world. He knows nothing of this, he can't even visualize the space of how much better he is to spew his socialist nonsense garbage. 
but not actually bring that stuff here. No, 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 no. It's good for selling a book. You don't actually want it. What kind of schmuck thinks he actually wants it? Sell your books, rabble a little bit. You, you never held a job a day in your life. You've never signed the front of a paycheck. You got three houses. If you actually implement everything that you want, you don't have three houses. You've got no houses. Ah, uh, but he'll probably be one of the guys on top, so he'll he'll house, you know. What do they call those places they have in Russia? The 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 oligarchs have on the coast. Right, the leaders, they, I, there's a name for that kind of place. He'll have one of those, right? His summer camp, a as he calls it, right? You need a Navy. You need a Navy, you need a strong one, and you need to clean up. You need to clean up the act. It's extremely important. And I'm glad that the Navy is is finally, you know, getting around to, to understanding this. Because without it, we, we've, we've got problems that we, we, we can't even begin to understand. Uh, then there's Rick Santorum. I missed this story, and I didn't know I did. Now, now Rick Santorum, former senator from Pennsylvania, um, always been super nice to me i have had the opportunity to interview rick santorum um repeatedly uh when he was on the trail and and doing other things always been super nice there are things i disagree with rick santorum about but he does a better job than most in being able to explain ideas and being able to do it in that very, very moderating way. And I mean, he was with CNN, right? He's the conservative on CNN. That is not easy. He got fired for talking about, for he was speaking at a Young America's Foundation event and that the founding fathers birthed a nation from nothing. And here's, here's what he said, part of the quote. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but candidly, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. Now, he says he misspoke and he meant to refer to the American founding rather than American culture. But I don't find that line to be uh, 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 offensive. I think that he's clearly talking about, when we talk about the history of, of, of America and what America was, was, was based on, as we see it now, Western civilization, that would be a Judeo-Christian ethic. Uh, that, that wouldn't necessarily be a Native American ethic. That's not an attack on Native Americans. That's just how the country was founded. I read that. I said, huh? He got fired from CNN for that. You can see that, producery? I could see why he got fired. You can't. Being, de- I, I know. I, I have absolutely no idea. Have you never why he watched? Got fired C- for that. Have you never watched CNN? Okay, that's a good point. Here he is talking about it on Hannity. 
in many, many cases uh, throughout my entire career, people have been called to be fired for saying this and fired for saying this. And I've always defended their right and say, you know, look, people have a right to their opinion. And uh, and by the way, CNN has a right to, to fire me if they if they don't like what I'm saying or what I'm doing. They have a right to fire me. I have no animus at all towards CNN. Like I said, I appreciate the opportunity they gave me. But I think it does show that the left is uh, is intolerant. They, they they're worried. I'm sure that their viewership, which is obviously very left, uh, was gonna, they were going to pay a price. And the intolerance of the left is really the issue here and the cancel culture that is flowing from it. And I, I hear from a lot of liberals, in fact, many CNN uh, contributors who talked to me afterwards who were very, very concerned about, you know, the uh, the cancel culture that's that's now hitting them at CNN. Well, we know that cancel culture will come for everybody. No one can avoid such a thing. The cancel culture comes for all. The the beast has to feed. The beast has to feed, and it will feed on whomever it needs to. It only ends when people are strong enough to say, yeah, we're not firing guy for this. I'm sorry. I don't think this is a fireable offense. I don't think he said anything that's close to rude or wrong at all. His line is, I think it shows the left is intolerant. They're worried, I'm sure, that their viewership, which is obviously very left, that they were going to pay a price, as, as we heard. The left is intolerant. And that price would be what? What would be the real price for keeping Rick Santorum? You know, uh, when, when Rush spoke about, Rush Limbaugh, spoke about Sandra Fluck, I should say the late Rush Limbaugh. I should say it properly. He made, he had that line about Sandra Fluck, who was somebody who was allowed to speak at a non-committee hearing talking about the need for free birth control. You'll notice she's gone from, from society. Nobody even knows she exists anymore. She was useful for when she was useful, but she had no position of power, and now it's over and bye bye um, When he said about her what he did, called her a name, you understand that the, the push to get him off the air and to go after his advertisers was not an organic thing. You understand that, right? It was a play out of a playbook that came out of a drawer, and someone said, what did Rush call her? Pulled out the playbook. Page 12, run it. Going after the advertisers, demanding boycotts. This was all in the playbook. Talking points. All there. Good to go. Now, for some fools out there, do I really think that there was a playbook? Yes. I think there was a group of people. I think there was a person. I think there were many people who said, well, you know, if this, then that. And if this, then that. And here's how we could do this. And here's how we could do that. And here's how we could do the other. And you go after this person. You call that person. And you reach out to these people. If Ben Rhodes, then the Deputy National Security Advisor, can say to all of us that in order to get the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action passed, right, that was the Iran nuclear deal. They took these reporters, these very, very naive reporters who were desperate to get any quote they could, and we fed them stories so then they would write stories so then we could use those stories to prove that we needed the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. And they were useful idiots. Oh, they were so willing. If they can admit that, and
didn't do that. Am I somehow not to believe that somebody didn't have a plan in a drawer? Or at least an idea sketched out on a napkin? <laughs> I, I, I completely and totally believe it. And I think you do too. I'm Tony Katz. So it's the one-year anniversary of the death of George Floyd. I mean, that just in and of itself is amazing when you think about the timeline. And so they've gathered what they call there. It's on East 38th Street and there in Minneapolis, George Floyd Square. And they're doing some press reports. And... Well, look, it's not going to be signed in time, at least according to the timeline that the White House and U.S. President Joe Biden had. They wanted this bill of comprehensive police reform uh, to be... uh, Just got to be careful here with some gunshot. Excuse us. us. It's an actual drive-by taking place during this live shot from the Associated Press. But as long as you're defunding the police, everything's going to be okay. That happened. You're a year past George Floyd, who, by the way, didn't deserve what he got. Will I recognize that he was on a tremendous amount of fentanyl? Absolutely. Will I recognize that the cop was absolutely wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a drive-by a year later. The violence problem in America is through the roof. And what does the White House say? Well, yeah, we've got a problem with guns. No, you don't. You've got millions and millions of gun owners. New gun owners. New gun shops. Man, can I tell you, thank you, everybody. I was talking yesterday about an issue, right, uh, about finding 40 caliber ammunition. And, you know, maybe I should just make my own. And people are like, yeah, best of luck. There are guys reaching out to me. We wanted to get into the business. We're trying to get primers. We're trying to get powder. And we're two, three years back ordered. Two, three years back ordered. I don't know. Can I I get into the primer business? Can, Can you figure that one out? It's unreal. Firearms are, are, are low in stock. Ammunition is low in stock. Millions of gun owners not doing anything wrong. Your issue is multiple things. And some of it's cultural. Some of it's how do people deal with anger? Why do they feel the need to do this? What is the, the, the value they get out of these kinds of random attacks? But people won't look into that because they fear being called racist or they fear being called bigoted or they fear, I don't, I don't know what. Do we want the society or do we want a better society? I don't understand what we have to be afraid of. The more I don't bring it up or the more we all don't talk about it, the worse it's going to get. My beloved Indianapolis won't recognize the violence problem. They'll only talk about gun violence. Screw off. It's violence. Now what's your plan? The mayor of Indianapolis, Joe Hogsett, has no plan. It's been five, six years. No plan. Oh, it's going to work. Oh, it's going to work. Oh, you got to be patient. He has no plan whatsoever. He has created a worse city. The city council that, that, that we have here created a worse city. Oh, but they're sure to paint Black Lives Matter on the, on the streets. Oh, those guns. No, this is about people. 
what's going on with people and you want to say that you know um it's it's just people who are black not me i'm noticing people falling apart riots and and fights on airplanes at baseball games everywhere over masks over masks my gosh our problem is cultural and societal it isn't law-abiding citizens who want to be able to utilize their rights so stop attacking those people Facebook Tony Katz Radio. Go to TonyKatz.com and get the podcast. This is Tony Katz Today.